Chapter Fourteen of the Blue Envelope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording today by Don Larson in Minnesota. The Blue Envelope by Roy J. Snell. Chapter Fourteen. A Lonesome Island. After fleeing from the great white bear, the two girls crouched behind the ice pile with bated breath expecting at any moment to see the long neck of the gigantic bear thrust around the corner of the ice-pile they longed to flee yet not daring remained crouched there do you think he saw us marian whispered no he was snuffing around looking for something to eat marian shivered lucille worked her way around the ice-pile to a point where she could see through a crack between the cakes then she motioned marian to join her Together they watched the antics of the clumsy white bear. "'My, isn't he huge?' Marion whispered. For a time the bear amused himself by knocking rusty ten-gallon gasoline cans about. At last, seeming to scent something, he began tearing up a particular garbage pile. Presently a huge rat ran out and went scurrying away. There followed a lively chase which ended in a prolonged squeal. "'He got him!' Marion shivered. The bear had moved out of their view. Cautiously they turned and made their way from ice-pile to ice-pile, from the rubbish heap toward camp. "'I hope he doesn't get our scent and follow us,' said Lucille. "'They don't usually bother people much, though.' In spite of her belief that the bear would not harm them, Lucille did not sleep well that night. "'You can never tell what a hungry bear might do,' she kept saying over and over to herself." At last, late in the night, she fell asleep and slept soundly until morning. When finally she did awake, it was with the feeling that somehow something had changed. Land, land, something seemed to be whispering to her. It could have been nothing short of intuition which gave her this suggestion. They had been riding on the surface of a gigantic ice-floe. It was, perhaps, twenty miles wide by a hundred long. There was no sense of motion. So silent was its sweep, one might imagine oneself to be upon land, yet as she crept quickly out of her sleeping bag, she saw at once that the motion of the flow was arrested, and off to the right she read the reason. A narrow stretch of rocky shore there cast back the first rays of the morning sun. Marion, Marion, she called excitedly, land, land, an island! There could be no questioning this great good fortune. The one problem remaining was to reach the shore of that island. They did not dare to abandon their kayak, sleeping bag, and scanty supplies, for who could tell them that this was not a small uninhabited island? They had traveled many miles with the ice floe in some direction, perhaps many directions. Who could say where they were now? The ice must be piling close to shore, Lucille said but we must try it. It's our only chance. After a hasty breakfast of tea and a last remaining bit of cold duck, they piled all their supplies and equipment into the kayak. Then, bidding farewell to the humble ice pan, which had given them such a long ride, they began dragging the kayak toward the island. This proved a long and tedious task, requiring all the skill and strength they possessed, for the island, though scarcely four miles in length, had appeared to be much closer than it really was. 
The ice piles, too, grew rougher and more uneven as they advanced. When they neared the shore, they found themselves in infinite peril, for the ice was piling. Here a huge cake, a hundred feet across and eight feet thick, glided without a sound, up, up, into mid-air, at last to crumble and fall, and here a mass of small cakes were thrown into convulsions. Pick their way as they might, with greatest care, they were more than once in danger of being crushed by overhanging ice-pans, or of being plunged into a dark pool of water. When at length, in triumph, they dragged their kayak to a rocky shelf well above the trembling ice, Marian, from sheer exhaustion, threw herself flat upon the rock and lay there motionless for some time. Lucille sat beside her, absorbed in thought. At last Marian sat up. Well, we're here, she smiled, giving her blistered hands a woeful look. Yes, smiled Lucille, we're here. Now where is here, and what's it like? The two girls looked at one another solemnly for a full minute. In their larder was still a little tea, a pint bottle of weak duck soup, a half can of much frozen condensed milk, and that was all. They were on an island of which as yet they knew nothing. Above them towered great overhanging cliffs. Before them the giant ice pans rose, crumbling and creaking in mad turmoil. Life is so strange, said Lucille at length, then energetically, let's make some soup of the things we have left. Then if we can get up there we'll explore our island. We'll have three or four hours of daylight left, and if there's anything for us to eat anywhere, sooner we find it out the better. The climb to the top of the island, which they undertook an hour later, was scarcely less dangerous than had been the struggle to cross the tumbling ice floe for this island was little more than a gigantic granite boulder rising for a distance of some five hundred feet out of the sea. They crept along a narrow shelf where a slip on some pebble might send them crashing to death in the tumbling mass of ice below. They scaled an all-but-perpendicular wall to drag their sleeping bag and the few other belongings which they had dared attempt to carry after them by the aid of a skin-rope. Then, after a few minutes' rest, they would rise to climb again. But at last, their efforts rewarded, they found themselves standing on the edge of a snow-capped plateau. Now, said Lucille, if there are any people living on this island, it won't be on top of it, but in some sheltered cranny down by the shore, where they are away from the sweeping winds and where they can hunt and fish. But think what they must be like, said Miriam. They may be savages who have never seen a white man. We don't even know whether we are a hundred miles from Bering Straits or five hundred, and neither of us has ever been on an island in the Arctic Ocean. That, said Lucille, has nothing to do with it. We're on one now. We can't very well go back to the ocean ice. We haven't any food. We couldn't hide on this little island if we wished to. So the best thing to do is to try to find the people, if there are any, and cast our lot with them. I once heard a great bishop say that humanity is everywhere very much the same. We've just got to believe that and go ahead. Shouldering the sleeping bag and leaving to Marion the remaining seal oil in the skin sack, the butcher knife, and the fishing outfit, she marched steadily forward on a course which in time would enable them to make the outer circle of the island. 
See those piles of stones, Lucille said fifteen minutes later. Those did not just happen to be there, they were put there by men. See how carefully they are piled? The piles look tall and slim. I have heard a sea captain say that the natives of this coast, in very early days, when there was warring among tribes, piled stones on high points like this to make those who desired to attack them think they were men, and that there were many warriors in the place. Then, said Marian, catching her breath at the thought, there must be people on this island. Not for sure, said Lucille. The people who piled up these rocks might merely have been living here temporarily, using the island as a hunting station. And then, even if they were living here permanently, famine and contagious diseases may have killed all of them. They trudged on again in silence. Everywhere the rocky rim of the island frowned up at them, offering no suggestion of a path down to the foot or of a rocky shelf below where a group of hunters might build a village. "'There's a place somewhere,' said Lucille stoutly, as she lowered her burden to the snow and paused for a brief rest. "'There's a path down, and we must find it, if it's nothing more than to find a safe spot by the sea where we can fish for smelt tomcod and flounders.' Dusk was falling when at length, with a little cry of joy, Lucille sprang forward then began a cautious descent over a winding and apparently well-worn trail, which even the snow did not completely conceal. With hearts beating wildly in utter silence, they made their way down the winding way to what? That they could not tell. Finally Lucille paused. She caught her breath quickly and clutched at her throat. At length in a calmer moment she pointed down into the right of the trail. See that square of white? Marian strained her eyes to peer through the gathering darkness. Yes, she said at last, I see it. That, said Lucille, in a tone that was tense with emotion, is the roof of a house, a white man's house. What? What makes you think so? gasped Marian. There's nothing as square as that in nature's panorama, and a native does not build a house like that. And if it is... If it is, we must trust ourselves to their care, though I'd almost rather they were natives. She closed her eyes and saw again the rough, unkept white men, beachcombers who lived by trading, hunting, and whaling with the natives. They were a hard, bad lot, and she knew it. Well, she sighed, come on, let's go down. Down they went, each turn of the path bringing them closer to the mysterious house. There's no light, said Lucille at last. There are no tracks in the snow, added Marian a moment later. It's boarded up, said Lucille as they came closer. It would have been hard to judge whether there was more of a relief or of disappointment in the tone in which she said this. They stood there staring at the house. It was a nice house, a bungalow such as one might desire for a summer home in the mountains or at the seashore. "'Who do you suppose brought all that fine lumber up here and built that house?' said Lucille. "'I wonder who,' echoed Marian. "'They took a turn about it. All the windows had been boarded up with rough lumber. "'There were two doors. These were fastened with padlock and chain. "'An examination of the locks showed that the keys had not been used in them for months.' Lucille's eyes were caught by poles and some platforms to the right along the rocky shore. She walked in that direction. 
"'Marion, come here!' she cried presently. Marion came running. "'Look, here's a whole native village. They've built their homes out of the rocks. See, it's like tunneling into the side of the mountain. Must be homes for a hundred people.' "'And not a soul here. How strange! Not even a dog!' Lucille's own voice sounded strangely hollow to her, as if echoed by the walls of a tomb. End of chapter 14